Welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packle. Welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight we have a guest who is a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute. He's also Professor Emeritus at Assumption University in Worcester, Massachusetts. And he's here to shed light on the life of Venerable Yusuf Cardinal Minzenti. We'll be talking about the Cardinal's defense of liberty, human dignity, and religious freedom against the regimes and totalitarian movements that took those human gifts away from him and millions of other East and Central European people during some of the darkest years of the last century. Our guest has partnered with Ignatius Press to bring the English translation of the Cardinal's memoirs to the world. Their initial publication was almost 50 years ago, and they're bringing it back out with his introduction and that of others. He'll share with us how Cardinal Menzenti remained a dedicated Christian and a Hungarian patriot despite imprisonment, torture, and exile from his home country, and even abandoned by the church. So please welcome Dr. Daniel J. Mahoney. Dr. Mahoney, welcome. Thank Good you, Father Mitch. Here. Good to have you Real here. Real pleasure to be here. What, first of all, why did you become interested in Cardinal Menzenti you alone edit his material. Well, you know, all my life, I'm 63, going back to the early 70s, I had an interest in totalitarianism and the church's confrontation with these inhuman regimes. And I take it you were against totalitarianism. I was against it from the get-go. I never had uh, a totalitarian movement, a moment in my past. But I remember reading Alexander Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago mm -hmm. when I was 14 or 15, mm -hmm. reading Menzenti's memoirs when it came out mm -hmm. uh, around the same age, and having an intense interest. And I followed, you know, when Cardinal Menzenti was in exile in the West from 1971 to 75, I would pay attention to what uh, it struck me that he was a, a visitor from another world, you know, a witness to some of the most tragic moments and events of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came to a Western world, ma mainly to minister to his fellow Hungarians who were in exile, many who had come to North America and Western Europe and South America and Australia after the failed Hungarian Revolution of 1956. But Vincenti struck me as being exactly what he was beatified for, a man of heroic Christian virtue. And uh, I read his memoirs when they came out. I thought they were uh, an extremely powerful testimony to what, uh, uh, how an authentic Christian confronts, as I said a moment ago, truly inhumane, inhuman regimes and ideologies. And, um, when Cardinal Menzenti was beatified, uh, the announcement... Well, he was made venerable. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, when he was, was made venerable, made venerable. Uh, the first step beatified. toward hopefully eventual beatification and mm -hmm. canonization. But it was announced on February 2nd, 2019, that Cardinal Menzenti was being made venerable. 
was the same day that the uh, announcement was made that Cardinal Newman was to be canonized later that year. I wrote an article for the Catholic Thing uh, about Menzenti, and in recent years I had read Cardinal Menzenti's correspondence with the Vatican and with American presidents and Secretary of State, these big massive volumes that have been made available by Hungarian scholars in Hungarian and English. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, it struck me that it was a shame that the memoirs, it's such a, it's a noble book, it's a powerful testimony, it's clearly, beautifully written, that, that this book, it's a shame that the book was out of print. And, and that was sort of an accident because uh, Macmillan, the publisher in the United States and Great Britain and Canada at the time, was being bought up by another New York conglomerate and they laid off most of their staff mm -hmm. and dropped a lot of their backlist. And the book was never in print again. So when I approached Mark Broomley and Father Fessio at Ignatius Press, they thought it was a wonderful idea, especially given this moment that um, Mincenti speaks to I think all the peoples of East Central Europe, you know, what they went through, um, the fundamental assault on, as you said, human dignity, religious liberty, but he was a man of indomitable courage. And some people complained in his lifetime he was too stubborn because of his refusal to compromise mm -hmm. with, uh, with communism, mm -hmm. uh, as many other clerics and bishops, the so-called peace priests in Hungary and Czechoslovakia and Poland were quite willing to make deals or even collaborate ideologically with communist regimes. And I would say, Menzenti's attitude, the, you know, the Latin phrase, non possum, I cannot. Mm -hmm. You know, and he represented something that we're not less familiar with today. A lot of the official churches thinks globalist in terms of international organizations and has perhaps exaggerated utopian hopes for the UN, which mm -hmm. sometimes they don't notice as an anti-Christian organization. Mm -hmm. you know? But Mincenti was a patriot. He was, he was uh, a man who loved Hungary. He was a, a deep Catholic. Those two affirmations were inseparable for him. He, he, he thought that Hungary, since its baptism with King Stephen at the turn of the millennium, that her, her dignity as a nation was tied to her Christian vocation. His defense of freedom against the communists, he was arrested by the government of Bela Kuhn, a short-lived red terror regime, a Leninist regime, in 1919, again by the Arrow Cross and the Nazis. And who, the who is the Arrow Cross? Who, uh, the Arrow Cross were a essentially Hungarian National Socialists. Mm -hmm. So like the German National Socialists, they were pathologically nationalistic. In other words, they weren't patriotic. They didn't love their country. They were committed to militarism, imperialism, the militarization of society, the kinds of people who like to wear uniforms and do salutes to goose-stepping. Goose-stepping, exactly. You know, it's, and, it, it, and they were racialist and anti-Semitic, and Cardinal Manzetti was an early critic of the Arrow Cross. The Arrow Cross would come to power in 1944 when Admiral Horthy, the region of Hungary, ultimately refused to continue the deportation of Hungary's 800,000 Jews to the death camps. And the, the Germans got rid of the Hungarian government and replaced it by a Hungarian Nazi government. See, a lot of folks don't uh, know uh, two things. One, 
in popular media, there's a confusion about patriotism, which is love of one's country, versus nationalism, where you put your nation ahead of the other values in life, such as God, the church, and family. Everything is about the nation. And oftentimes, as you mentioned, it's associated with a, a racist ideology yeah. that you uh, yeah. put, because Hungary is not composed all of Hungarians. There no. are many other people no, living no. And in and especially Hungary. under the dual monarchy, Austria-Hungary, mm -hmm. uh, there was a large Slovak population. Right. There were many. Uh, and Hungary is a, a, a country that is, well, now, because of the communist period, there's a lot of people who are just religiously not observant. But traditionally, it's been about two-thirds Catholic and one-third Calvinist, mm -hmm. the, and, mm -hmm. and some Lutherans. But the aristocracy was Calvinist. Horty, who was the leader in the interwar period, was a, a, a Calvinist. Victor Orban is mm -hmm. a Calvinist, the mm -hmm. present pre premier of, uh, mm -hmm. of Hungary, who, you know, if you read the New York Times, he's a fascist. He's not. He's a... Yeah. more or less a Christian Democrat who's opposed to the secular, radical secularism of the European project in its present form. But Minzetti was, uh, his biographer, Margit Balog, uh, whose biography of Minzetti has come out in, uh, from Catholic University Press last year, she calls him a plebeian conservative. The plebeian would be the, the pop, you know, in the, Rome. The average know, person. The average person. He was a peasant. But he was talented. He was sought after. His teachers in Catholic schools saw his talent, his faith, his fidelity. Um, he was recruited to go to seminary. He learned many languages. He read widely in history and theology. He was a writer. He wrote a best-selling book that's been translated into a dozen languages called The Mother. He wrote in the 1920s which is a kind of Marianist tribute to motherhood mm -hmm. with a kind of Marianist inflection. Uh, and uh, so I would say he was conservative in that sense he valued patriotism, he valued family, he valued tradition, but he was wholly committed to fundamental human rights, respect for the person, um, and deeply opposed, as the church of the 1930s was to racialism. You know, so Pope Pius XI and, and uh, his Secretary of State, uh, Pacelli, you know, they come out with Benedict Sorga in 1938 with Burning Sorrow, which was an attack on National Socialist racism, mm -hmm. racialism and anti-Semitism. And this is exactly, Pius XII famously said, we are all spiritually Semites. Mazzini was saying many of, this, of similar things in Hungary in the 30s and 40s. And um, he, uh, in, in several sermons he gave in the spring and summer of 1944, he said very laconically, a Christian cannot go along with an ideological project that suspends three or four of the Ten Commandments, like, you know, arresting and killing Jews and stealing their property and bearing false witness. You know, um, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, like a liberal cosmopolitan might say, you know, we have to understand difference and identity. No, it was rooted in the Ten Commandments and respect for exactly. the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God. That said, he was a conservative. He said, he says in his memoirs, I wanted to uh, defend 
the, uh, the sacred traditions of my country, which are tied to Christian civilization, to human freedom, for respect for the dignity of the human person. And he saw both this desire of both the communists and the Nazis in their arrow cross form in Hungary to invent a whole new society that would throw out. See, love of nation is a good thing, but when love of nation becomes an idolatry, an idol, you know, and Europeans didn't start killing each other in the name of the nation until they stopped believing in the biblical God and the right. Ten Commandments. I mean, the, the French Revolution is really the beginning of nationalistic ideologies. A godless, and, a godless yes. nationalism, yeah. And especially as influenced by Rousseau. The, the, the thing that uh, <clears throat> I think also for folks to understand, uh, Cardinal Menzenti said that comment about, you know, not removing three of the commandments in regard to the Jews, not killing them, not stealing their property, not bearing false witness against them. He said that precisely as the Nazis from Germany took over the arrest of the Jews, they were bound and determined. The Hungarians did not, their government did not want to exterminate the Jews. The, I tell you, you know, a really interesting thing. The, the Nazis did, and they came in and took it over. Admiral Horty was wholly, <coughs> uh, it was also a, a, a traditionalist conservative, not a fascist. He uh, was dead set against the deportations, and little, little known fact, the Nazis kidnapped his son mm -hmm. and held him in Germany, and under that pressure, he, uh, he gave in. The deportations began, but there was such a human cry from Hungarians, from mm -hmm. world opinion, from the churches, he suspended it. And it was the suspension of the deportations of the Jews that led Hitler and the Nazi state to overthrow the Hungarian rep uh, government and replace them with these really ugly uh, extremists, these Hungarian yeah. Nazis. And uh, people don't know this, but it's, it's, it's a fact. Uh, you, uh, Pope Pius XII wrote to Admiral Horty, who was not a Catholic, a Calvinist, but I think a, a decent man, and he told him if he didn't put an end to the deportations, his soul would be at risk of going to hell. Mm -hmm. And why that's not better known, it's in some of the literature, but it is. That, it is, is. that it was an intervention, a decisive intervention by Pope Pius XII to stop to try to stop the deportation of the Jews. And then you know the, after the war, despite the fact that the non-communist parties um, won overwhelmingly in the Hungarian elections, uh, the nasty uh, uh, Leninist, Stalinist uh, leader, the communist party leader, Rokosi, he famously said, we have salami tactics. We're gonna get rid of this party, get rid of this party, you know, we'll lock up these officials. And by 1948, all that was left in Hungary was the Catholic Church. Yeah. And that really meant Cardinal Benzenti. The political opposition had been crushed. The Catholic schools had been nationalized. The infrastructure of a totalitarian society was being built. Cardinal Benzenti declared a Marian year. He said, all we have is prayer. He went all over the country praying. 500,000 people in Budapest, 300,000 in another town, masses in the countryside. And the Hungarian Communist Party knew that unless they silenced Cardinal Menzenti, uh, 
creating, uh, a, you know, the, the infrastructure, the reality of a totalitarian communist state in Hungary would be impossible. And so he was arrested on the 26th of December, St. Stephen's Day, the day after Christmas, 1948. And it's important to see that after these countries are devastated by the war, the, you know, Poland, Hungary, these other countries of Eastern Europe, the communists come in, the, the so-called Russian liberators that drove the Nazis out, mm -hmm. then set their plan, because again, we don't hear much about it, but the communists in China, in uh, Russia, wanted to take over the whole world and make the whole world Marxist. And I'll tell you, uh, if you read, there's 80 accompanying documents in the memoirs. Cardinal Menzenti had made a very close study of the fate of the Orthodox Church in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Well, Russia after 17, the, officially the Soviet Union after 24. And he saw that in all the phases, I mean, there were some, you know, tens of thousands of priests and nuns had been killed and incarcerated, mm -hmm. bishops and others, even when the church, after it was broken in the Second World War, when it, when it uh, you know, begins collaborating with the state under immense pressure. Stalin knew people were going to fight and die for Bolshevism, but they might fight and die for Orthodox Russia and mm -hmm. uh, Mother Russia. But Menzeni knew that any kind of long-term ideological accommodation and cooperation between communism or Bolshevism and Christianity was impossible. He saw it as an anti-God ideology to its deep core. And his studies of that in the 1930s and 20s and 30s informed his own decisions in the 1940s. He just thought that as I said, the, the stance finally had to be one of irrevocable opposition to the effort to uh, impose a totalitarian state in society in Hungary and in the whole of East Central Europe. And um, he, um, you know, he, he uh, for a long time in the, after the Hungarian Revolution, you know, with the cover of the memoirs, we have uh, Cardinal Menzenti speaking to the Hungarian people two days after he was liberated during the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. He looks pretty good there, but he had lost half his weight, you know, in those eight years in prison. And they began feeding him again, 55, 56. But um, he, uh, uh, he went into exile. I mean, he went in, he, he, he took refuge in the American embassy and he was there 56 to 71. And after a while, he was kind of an unwanted guest, but he refused to accommodate the regime. And um, he was finally persuaded by Pope Paul VI, through his intermediaries, Cardinal Koenig and Cardinal Casaroli, to come to the West in 71. And the reason he was persuaded is he wanted to publish his memoir so the world would know what Hungary had experienced. Mm -hmm. what the church had experienced. Why? This is the period of Ostpolitik and detente and illusions that communism was mellowing and there was Christian Marxist dialogue where Christians were accommodating themselves. And by 68 with uh, a theologian named Miranda 
the rise of liberation theology as a use of Karl Marx's ideas the way Thomas Aquinas had used Aristotle. That was their Bishop uh, Don Helder Camara in, in Brazil said, we've got to do for Marx what the church did for Thomas in the 13th century, which mm -hmm. is ludicrous, of course. Yeah. But, uh, but that, was the, that was the zeitgeist, the atmosphere. So Benzetti comes to the West in 71. He is initially welcomed by Paul VI, but soon the Vatican officials are telling him, well, you've got to cut this out of your memoirs. You've got to cut this out of your memoirs. You can't openly criticize communist ideology. And uh, Cardinal Mazzini, who was a loyal son of the church, just told the Pope in good conscience, I cannot hide these terrible truths from mm -hmm. our fellow churchmen, from the world, from the Hungarian people. He, f he, 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 uh, he, he felt he had, a he had an obligation rooted in Catholic faith and moral conscience to speak the truth and not to collaborate in ideological lies. And I think by, and he traveled all over England, the United States, Australia, went to Venezuela, South Africa, wherever there were Hungarians. And he met many politicians and many churchmen. And, uh, uh, and I, I, as I said a moment ago, it was like a ghost from another world, witnessing. And he was worried. He always admired the American church. Uh, he had been here in the 40s, been in Chicago and New York, developed friendships with Cardinal Fring in Chicago and Spellman and others. And he was oppressed by the solidarity of American Catholics, the help they had given Hungary after the war, the school system. But when he came to the West in the early 70s, he saw the pressures for abortion and demand, the sexual revolution, the, the gradual and not so gradual, you know, secularism and dechristianization of Western society. So he was worried. And uh, he was really worried about what was happening in the West, but uh, he was shocked because in 1973, on the 25th anniversary of his arrest, Pope Paul VI declared the See of Estragon to be vacant. Now, he did not appoint a replacement until Menzeni died a year and a half later, but he made a troubling statement that Cardinal Menzenti was not a victim of totalitarian repression and mendacity. He said he was a victim of history. And he uh, lifted the excommunication against all the party officials and secret police officials who had been involved in his arrest, torture. Mm -hmm. And he was tortured terribly, as, as, as one learns in the memoirs. And the Minister of Interior in Hungary in 1948 was the then leader of the Hungarian Communist Party, Janusz uh, Kadar. So, in a way, they, you know, they were, if not vindicated, it was everything was blamed on historical complexity, and not on the willful atheism and totalitarianism of the Hungary, Hungarian Party. And Cardinal Mazzini ends his memoir. I mean, it's a very telling remark. He says, this is how I found myself in complete and total exile. And he did not die in despair, but he felt like the official church had lost its way. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And it was trying to do the impossible. It was trying to make more or less permanent accommodations with political movements, ideologies, regimes that were anti-human and anti-God to their very core. So, it, it, And I can certainly remember those days. I, I was uh, teaching, studying theology and sure. such in the 70s. And there was this mood around the, the nation that, you know, we had gotten so close to a nuclear war, to a third world war. That's right. And the fear of something going wrong slightly, because uh, mm -hmm. there, there's a great theory of history, the black swan history, that yeah, yeah. certain odd events can trigger a number of catastrophes and it changes history. You know, there was a famous remark from the uh, philosopher, not a very good philosopher, but a famous philosopher, Bertrand Russell, from the early 60s, who said, better red than dead. Yes. And uh, Sidney Hook, who was not a religious right. believer either, but was an honorable anti-communist, he said, no, it's we should use the arts of intelligence and prudence to avoid being red or dead. And that's what people forgot. That that's right. And and you, you saw at that same time, 73, yeah. that the United States was negotiating to end the war in Vietnam. There was no longer right. victory uh, and the stopping of communism as well. We have to basically give South Vietnam over to the communists. Cambodia went to Pol Pot. With you all know, the consequences we know about. With, with a, a, a genocide, a genocide, ha nearly half of its population. That's right. And it would it would take another Eastern European prelate to help everybody mm -hmm. see you are afraid mm -hmm. of a paper tiger, and John Paul II becoming mm -hmm. Pope helped with President Reagan mm -hmm. and Margaret Thatcher to bring down communism you know, I wrote, that nobody could have imagined and you're exactly in 73. Right. Nobody George could Weigel, imagine it. George Weigel, who many of you may know, the biographer of Pope John Paul II, but he, uh, he, has, uh, he has pointed out that the, the sea change that occurred in 78, 79, mm -hmm. culminating in the Pope's uh, visit to Poland, Yep. That, that sermon, which was a religious sermon, be not afraid, but mm -hmm. everyone in Victory Square in Warsaw meant no more collaborate. Solzhenitsyn's great phrase, live not by lies. Yeah. You know, let the lie enter the world, but not through me. And the inspiriting of the peoples of East Central Europe, the sense that there's nothing inevitable or permanent about the, the triumph of these, you know, ideological tyrannies. Mm -hmm. And things changed that that whole, you know, Cardinal Casaroli, the Vatican Secretary of State and others, they wanted to continue this policy, but John Paul II knew that part of the world no. too well. But I, I wrote a piece for the Hungarian Review on Minzeni, and I got the copy in the mail, and I said, oh, my piece is here, it's very happy, and then I look, as a picture I had never seen. It was John Paul II on a pilgrimage to Austria in 1988, 
praying at uh, Maciel, praying Maciel, praying at the tomb of Cardinal mm. Vincenti, and I thought that symbolized something, you know, you know, something the sea change that had occurred from what I described in '73 to 1988. Absolutely. We have to take a break. We're going to come back in a couple of minutes. We want to get any of your questions and comments, so please stay with us. speaking with Dr. Daniel J. Mahoney, and the, he wrote the introduction to the book, but the book is primarily the memoirs of Yusuf Cardinal Menzenti of Hungary. This book is available for you at EWTNRC.com, where it is item number 5856. So that'd be well worth taking a look at. Also want to start getting you to think about this. It's next year, next, uh, uh, just uh, over a year, uh, just under a year from now, in Indianapolis, in July 17th to the 24th, there will be a National Eucharistic Revival. If you are interested, go to EWTN.com slash Eucharist, EWTN.com slash Eucharist to learn more about it and receive a code to, re to get a discounted registration. So they'd like people to register and you can get a discount on that if you sign in early. So that'd be a good thing. All right, you know, we've been discussing Cardinal Menzenti and you know, a lot of folks don't know who he was, but overall, people don't really know a lot about the communist era. That's it's not so well known. Um, what, what do you think is going on there? I think a couple of things are going on. I, uh, I remember teaching a course at Assumption, then college where I taught, and a student was really surprised and said, "I didn't know communism was anti-Christian." Right. A real shock in the year 2019 yeah. that communists had a hundred-year record of repressing, murdering, and persecuting our co-religionists. How could products of Catholic education, uh, my friend Bob Royal has written a wonderful book on Catholic martyrs in the 20th century, the largest majority of them fell victim to communist persecution. Yep. And the fact that this isn't known, we do a terrible job as a civilization, as a country, and as a church on passing on the moral experience of one epoch to another. Mm -hmm. But this also has to do, the French, uh, the great French Catholic historian, Alain Besançon, who died a week or two ago at the age of uh, 91, he gave his inaugural address at the uh, Academy Francaise in the late 90s, and it was called the hyper, uh, the hyper memoir of Nazism, the hyper memory of Nazism, 
and the hyperamnesia of communism. Uh, he's a great historian of Russia and of totalitarianism more broadly, a very significant Catholic layman, but he says, why don't people know about the Gulag Archipelago? Why don't they know about the massive persecution of intellectuals, the, the tens of millions of peasants killed in communist societies? Well, and by the way, collectivization was not just in the Soviet Union. It was in Maoist China. It was in North Vietnam. It was in North Korea. The majority of people who died in communist society are peasants who were murdered as a result of collectivization. You add to that the suppression of religious liberty, the camps, and all of this. Uh, there's books, the Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago, the, the Black Book of Communism, that lays out the record of 100 million people who lost their high their lives in the 20th century. Actually, and, and it's actually much higher. Much it's higher than that. 61.9 million in Soviet Union. Yeah. And at least 90 million yeah. in communist China. The Black Book of Communism, they use the most conservative estimates, like mm -hmm. the ones that are recorded in the archives mm -hmm. of these regimes. But yes, Solzhenitsyn estimated 66 million in the Soviet Union between 1918 and 1956. But the fact is, the, uh, there's, there's one other intervening factor that I think is really important. Communism gets a free pass in part because people think it's motivated by good intentions. That's right. Uh, but it's not good intentions. When you justify violence and mendacity in the name of fundamentally transforming human nature, uh, you are showing such a systematic, you mentioned Rousseau, who famously denied original sin, all evil is in social structures. Once you have that view, get rid of the bad people and we'll have paradise on earth, the kingdom of God on earth, without God's grace, without an awareness of sinfulness and all of that. So communism led to immense physical and moral destruction. And it was precisely these utopian the utopian ends that were totally disconnected from a concrete understanding of the human person, of sin, of the virtues and all of this. And uh, the idea that communism, I, I can tell you, I started teaching in 1986, before that in graduate school, I saw generations of students say, and it would raise my blood pressure, communism is good in theory, but it doesn't always work out in practice. Now, I jokingly say now, with some, the radicalization of some students in the woke era, I have I had more students who would say communism is good in theory and not so bad in practice. But this idea that communism was a noble project that went wrong. Communist ideologies, uh, put it very simply, second part of the Communist Manifesto. The Communist Manifesto of Marx and Engels, 1848, is the encapsulation of communist ideology for a broader public audience. Marx sums up communism, four abolitions. The abolition of private property, the abolition of the family, the abolition of religion, and the abolition of the nation. I call that, in some of my writings, the four abolitions. Can you imagine a society that respects liberty and the dignity of the human person that abolishes property, family, religion, and the nation? That is an invitation for calamity, for totalitarianism, 
for unprecedented moral destruction. In and yet so many young people and so many progressivists in the church, you know, they still are caught up in this dream of liberation, you know, of uh, yeah. the next revolution will work out. Yeah I, yeah, I like to point out that a lot of liberation theology started falling apart when they were having their final clearance closeout sales of statues of Marx and Lenin in uh, the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. You, you, yeah, you, you and I remember in the 80s, they used to call them Sandalistas, priests and nuns who would go to Nicaragua to pay right. tribute to the Sandinistas. The Sandinistas today, it's just pure corruption, the persecution of the Catholic Church. The latest news is they've confiscated the pension fund that the church set up for their priests and nuns. I mean, it's just utter cruelty. It's, 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 it's some kleptocratic regime that, you know, still mouths revolutionary slogans. But the, we had churchmen. We had Father Cardinal, the Jesuit, who was in Descoto, the foreign minister, who were priests serving in a communist government. Yep. And this is what it's come to. Yep. We have a caller. We have Mike in Pittsburgh. Mike, what, what can we do for you tonight? Uh, good evening, Father Mitch and uh, Dr. Mahoney. Father Mitch, you gave a great homily today at Mass. I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. Um, my question uh, goes to uh, Dr. Mahoney and Father Mitch. You know, feel free to jump in. It just seems when I read George Weigel's book on John Paul II that Poland came out on top in the Cold War in terms of Eastern European countries. And he states that Cardinal Wojcicki of Poland was no less a Catholic and no less devout and anti-communist than Mazinski. But he was strategically wiser, he was a strategically wiser man. For after Mazinski was crushed during the 1956 rebellion, the Hungarian church took the road not of compromise but of surrender. Weigel goes on to write, since the fiercely anti-communist Cardinal Mazinski had left Budapest as part of the Ostpolitik of uh, Pope Paul VI, the Catholic leadership had increasingly accommodated itself to the regime, and the results had been disastrous. And he backs it up by saying, like, for instance, the average age of a priest was about 67 in many dioceses, and of the 25% who attended church regularly, about a third of them, um, no, about 25% of the active Catholics, only about a third of them attended church. I'm just curious what your reaction is to this fight. Uh, well, I think if George were here, he would agree with me that the approaches of Menzendi and Cardinal Wyszynski were uh, ultimately complementary, and they were dealing with two very different situations. Right. The church was much stronger in Poland. I mean, I mean, Poland was the only place where there was an independent, a really independent Catholic university at Lublin where Pope, where Karol Votiva, the future John Paul II, taught philosophy, ethics, and phenomenology. Uh, the, the communists didn't dare close down Lublin. Um, the, um, there was an effort in the early 50s, a little bit like Hungary and the other satellite countries, to break the back of the church. Cardinal Wyszynski, I believe, spent three years in prison yes. between yes. 50-53, and then he was under house arrest in a monastery. But during the Hungarian, the Poles had their version of a semi-revolution in October 56, and the new leader, Gomulka, sort of recognized uh, we can't crush the church. So they, they, they spied on them, they 
repressive, but, but you know, Vizhinsky in uh, Warsaw and later Votiva in Krakow were able, uh, without making any significant compromises with the communist regime. They could do business with them from a position of strength. So, for example, in 1966 was the year where Poland ce celebrated its uh, millenni uh, 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 millennium within the uh, Catholic Church, the conversion of Poland. Uh, the church organized all sorts of events that had, you know, that revealed their complete spiritual independence from communist ideology. It is true that after Cardinal Menzenti was arrested, the show trial, another Cardinal Gross was also, Archbishop Gross was also arrested. Uh, the Hungarian bishops uh, um, more or less surrendered. And, and after Cardinal Menzenti, Cardinal Menzenti's successor, Cardinal Lequet, is more or less a semi-collaborator endorsing the full goals, ideological goals of the Hungarian People's Republic. And the peace priest movement was more influential in Hungary than in Poland. There were a couple of things. Ha Poland was a more homogeneously Catholic country. Pol uh, 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 Hungary was not. Uh, it was split between Calvinists and Catholics, Catholics being the majority of the Christian population. And um, the totalitarianism under Rakosi and some of his successors was much more thoroughgoing than in Poland. Right. And now it is true that Kador, Kador, who was the man who crushed the Hungarian Revolution, he was the Minister of Interior when Menzeni was arrested, so he was responsible for his arrest. And he was the guy the Vatican was doing business with. He did liberalize the economy. They called it goulash communism. He introduced some market elements and all of that, you know, but not, but no political freedom. And it's very interesting, even though Hungary had more, somewhat more of a free economy than other East Central European states, the secret police and the party kept a stranglehold on the Catholic Church right to the end. In, so in fact, it, so fact, something like that also happened in Czechoslovakia. That's correct. That it was a place where there was more wealth and more, more prosperity, but a much stronger repression by the government and the church was much more strangled. And it's interesting, uh, I, we could name a whole series of equivalents of Cardinal Menzenti. We mentioned the great Cardinal Vizinski. Uh, there was also Cardinal Barron in Prague who was arrested around the same time as mm -hmm. Menzenti and treated very, very horribly. Um, the Czech church was, and especially after the crushing of the Prague Spring in 68, and you had this sort of re-Stalinization of Czechoslovakia, the, Czech, the Catholic Church was very quiet. There were some Catholic dissidents and intellectuals, but the official church was quiescent, a little bit like the church in Cuba. And then in the 80s, slowly, you had a new cardinal archbishop in, in Prague, and the church started getting civic courage. Mm -hmm. But the lead came from people like Kavel, and eventually the church uh, you know, began to speak up. Yeah. But they were way, the Hungarians and the Czechs were way behind the Poles. Yeah. Because the Poles never accommodated themselves ideologically to communism. So I, with uh, Mike from uh, Pittsburgh, I'd say, George is right, but I, 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 I can't say Vizinski's approach was better because Vizinski's approach wasn't available to Menzendi. 
And, uh, and you know, in Hungary today, Mazzetti is a hero because in retrospect, people, I talked to many, many people when I spent the month of April in Hungary, and the Catholics I spoke to just uniformly say, we have forgotten. We have contempt for those peace priests and collaborationist bishops. We remember Menzenti because he saved the honor of the church. He saved the honor of the nation. We have another caller. Is this Angel? Yes, Father. Hey, and you're over in Kentucky. What can we do for you today? Okay, well, I'm originally from Alabama. My home oh. is the suburban area around Birmingham, and I saw you once in Scripture and Tradition way back in 19. Oh, well, thank yeah, you for you calling in. I appreciate that. Too, Father. And Dr. Mahoney, I just want to ask you about this wonderful, I just want to share this because it's the feast day of St. Joaquim and Anne. And there was a prayer, like a poem and a prayer, written by Cardinal Joseph Menzenti. I don't know the date. I used to know it. And it starts like this. The most important person in the world is the mother. She may not have contributed to the building of the Notre Dame Cathedral. She need not. For what she has done is she has aligned herself, and this is kind of paraphrasing it, with the will of God to bring life into the world. And then it goes on, and I, I do an eighth-grade survivor kit at our parish, St. Francis of Assisi in Louisville, Kentucky, and I always put this in there since 2019. So in case the children may have forgotten a Mother's Day gift, they have it for their mom. And it is believed he wrote this because he loved the Blessed Mother so much and his own mother. Now, have you heard of it? Yes, I, you're quoting, you're paraphrasing from Cardinal Mancini's book, The Mother, which has been in print forever in English and in many other languages. And as I said, it's a beautiful, it's a combination of things. It's a tribute, it's a Christian vision of motherhood and the family. It is clearly rooted in his deep devotion to his own mother. I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. And it's also, as I said before, it's informed by, Cardinal Mazzini was a Marianist. He had a deep devotion to the mother of God, as did Cardinal Vijinsky, as did Carol Votiva. They were Marianists of the first order and reflected theologically, religious, spiritually on the place of the mother of God and the order of salvation. But Cardinal Manzini had a peasant mother who was very pious, very patriotic, very proud of her son. She suffered badly because um, of what her son under underwent in so many different periods of his life, but she was a stalwart. I met Cardinal Manzini's 90-year-old nephew, his, his, his brother's son, Carlo, in Budapest in April. Had a three-and-a-half-hour lunch with him. Wonderful man. He briefly lived in New Jersey. So Cardinal Manzini in New Jersey, it was sort of hard. And he once got a, a legion, a sub-award from the state of Alabama, because he did business in Alabama. This was a lot to take in. But anyway, Carlo told me that the village of Manzent, where Cardinal Manzini was from, and where his mother lived, when he was in prison, um, remained, they were stalwarts. They remained, they prayed for him every week. There were no collaborators. He was their hero. She was allowed to visit, she died in mid-1960s. She was, when he, Mazzini was in the American Embassy from November 4th, 1956 until 1971, those first four years, 
his mother visited him twice a year. You, once she came alone, one visit a year she came alone, and once she would bring one of Menzendi's two sisters. Uh, those, those uh, Menzendi would always say mass, not only for the diplomatic community, not only for the Hungarians and the embassy, but also for his mother, for his sisters. These visits were of incalculable importance for him, spiritually, emotionally, as a son, as a, as a Christian prelate. But I learned when I was in Hungary, there was a little bit of a mystery. 1962, a volume came out in English and German, many other languages, major writings and texts of Menzeni, and it was somehow snuck out of the American embassy. And I learned it was snuck out by his mother. She had like, like, like a peasant woman with lots of, you know, layers and all this. Mm -hmm. And the secret police just didn't, you know, look that closely. And she had this manuscript. It was the last thing she did for her son was she snuck out his book. And Carlo tells me the family network got it to a publisher in Germany and then it came out here. So that was a really interesting piece of the puzzle. But no, Cardinal Menzenti, um had a, a deeply Christian view of the possibilities of motherhood and a deep and ab abiding uh, uh, devotion to his own mother, who I think was the best of Christians. And, um, and again, a woman, she, she looked much older than she was when she died because she had suffered so much. Sure, well, that'll happen. We have another caller on the line. Catherine, you're calling from Michigan? Catherine, you there? I don't, we're having trouble hearing her. Hello. Hello, there you are. Uh, Catherine, you had a question? I have a wonderful little short story about meeting the Cardinal in person. Okay, go ahead. Um, uh, you want me to tell it to you now? Well, uh, that, sure, you have a couple minutes. Okay. Well, in uh, 1972, I believe it was Ascension Thursday, I was invited to join a Hungarian group of people at the airport, at Metropolitan Airport in Detroit, Michigan. I was thrilled out of my mind. Here, are you talking to me, Father? Yeah, no, I'm listening to you. Tell, tell us a little more yeah. about the meeting. Yes. Uh-huh. No, we just want to hear a little bit more about uh, right. the meeting. Okay. I think you're talking to somebody else. Yeah, I, I, I think that her line is crossed or something because yeah, yeah. she's talking to somebody you're listening, but it's not us. Yeah, we can't hear. Yeah, but, it's, but this was part of his various trips uh, here to the United States and other countries. Um, he was a very old man, and he said Mass. If you, one of the great things about this edition, you look at the pictures. He's praying in a monastery in Matawan, New Jersey. He visited the Cistercians at the University of Dallas. He visited some cardinals who he had gotten to know in Rome. He, uh, he ministered. He went to New Brunswick, New Jersey, because there was a major Hungarian community. I got a note from a woman in Venezuela. He went there, a big, a uh, lot of Hungarians who fled Hungary at the time of the revolution of 56, went to Venezuela, p 
poor poor people. Yeah, now they got to flee Venezuela. They got to flee Venezuela. But a woman wrote to me and said Cardinal Manzoni stayed at her house for three days, and she, get, you know, just talked about it being the most memorable experience of her life. But he had amazing energy, uh, and uh, and he really had a this man. He had to say the, the relatively sedentary life. He was he wrote, and he he was a pastor. And it's amazing how much he read. You know, he kept on things in Hungary and the Universal Church and world politics and theology and Hungarian history during those 15 years in the embassy. But he traveled like St. Paul traveled the Mediterranean. I mean, he had a mission. And it was mainly a mission to Hungarians to keep a Hungarian Catholic presence alive in the world. But it was partly a more universal message about the moral law, about, uh, I mentioned abortion. He was appalled. They have very high rates of abortion in Eastern Europe. And yeah, that, was a, that was one of the early things that the communists did. They, in, they made abortion legal. And it was partly, as you said in your four abolitions, they want to abolish the family. Absolutely. And that was Engels' whole deal, that if you get rid of the family, the nuclear family, then capitalism will cease to exist. That's right. And you see in our country, as fewer and uh, fewer children, the majority of children are born to unmarried people. That's right. They start becoming dependent on the state. That's right. And instead of on mom and dad. So this is a very important thing. I'm afraid, though, that we're running out of time. Okay. Uh, I just want to make sure that we, again, encourage people to take a look at this book. It's called The Memoirs of Cardinal Yusuf Cardinal uh, Menzenti. And Dr. Mahoney did the introduction to it. Gives you an historical background so that you have a very nice layout of you know, the historical events. The principle of that. That's yeah, right. Very key. And, um, and by the way, well, it's, it's a very clearly written book. Yes, yeah, so the, it's Mincetti's character, his nobility, his yeah. Christian faith, his commitment to truth, yeah. all that comes out. And, and, this, we, and this well, was a dramatic century. Yeah, <laughs> but, we have, but we have to get going. We're just a few seconds left. I want to thank you for being here, for getting this book out again. And, and let's give you all a blessing. May Almighty God bless you, especially all of you grandparents on this feast of our Lord's grandparents. And Lord bless you and keep you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, we want to remind you that we can do this program and all the other programs we do only because of you. So please keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. Thank you, and God bless.